please listen to the music but don't listen to the music sorry I was distracted by not listening to the music while I was listening that's to right. the music that's right that's great here we are another beautiful summer evening here at Castle Casa de Pic yeah it's, uh, it's starting to heat up Not too but hot this yet. music really cools me down, though. This has been the coolest summer ever, really. I think. It has. It has. It's strange, too, because our tree is starting to shed baby acorns, too. Our, our oak tree. Oh, yeah. Yep. Sure they're, is. They're just little runts. So, little itty bitty ones. Well, I hope everybody uh, didn't miss us too badly uh, with our week off. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of busy stuff going on, but... Um, Susan and I, uh, last weekend, actually, um, probably did one of the most amazing things for our... Yeah, you guys are probably sick of hearing it, our eBay store. <laughs> but Voodoo we, Zombie Boutique. We... That's right. ...found, uh, an estate sale of a hoarder, and the guy happened to hoard, to be a hoarder of new and sealed media including VHS, DVD and Blu-ray and we cherry picked and got a lot of great stuff on the first day and then we went back on the following Saturday and there was still a ton of sealed stuff left and I made an offer, a relatively generous offer to buy out the rest of the stock and two carloads later we mm -hmm. have a garage full of stuff to sell so our store is about to go bonkers with stuff and we just found a fun little resale shop today i found some yeah. decent gems there that uh that resell uh, i paid a buck a piece for a couple things but yeah i mean the amount of stuff we got at this estate sale we'll be selling stuff for years it's crazy we're having a good time yeah. we're, we're buying we're selling yeah. we're we need to make a commercial. How many times have I said it? Voodoo Zombie Boutique. <laughs> Voodoo Zombie Boutique. Go to the one-stop shop. You can shop and do that voodoo that you do 24 hours a day on eBay. Yeah. So. Oh my god, that rhymes. That's awesome. There you go. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, we found some super valuable stuff. Uh, we found, uh, I mean, just one little thing. There was a, a Spider-Man DVD box set from the 1967 original animated series that was released about uh, maybe 12 years ago or something like that that's been out of print since. And that sucker sells for like 350 to $375. So once we sell that, we'll have made just back just about all of our investment. So... And it does yes. sell consistently. You know, it might be a month or two, but once we sell it, we've made back the largesse of our investment. So, And yeah. we found a, a, a sealed copy of Beastmaster, which sells for quite a bit, believe it or not. So, I mean, so many sealed movies, it's crazy. And uh, lots of rare, weird things. So, But anyway, I hope everybody had a nice week and they're, they're enjoying their summer. Uh, it was good to have a little bit of downtime last week. And then, you know, like yeah. I said, we got to go do some stuff that we might not have had time to do. It was a big help to us. 
So, um, but tonight, we're going to get back to it. We've got chapters three and four of Dorothy and the Wizard. I've picked a different reader from LibriVox tonight. I think you might enjoy this guy a little bit better. He sounds familiar. I think he read some of the other stuff that we've heard. Yeah. Uh, We've got a Wormwood Forest, a couple Jerry and the Circus for everybody, Um, loaded up a five-minute mystery for a break, and we have something new since we ran out of Popeyes that Popeye didn't take much to poop out which is a surprise to me and I don't know what the something new is she and doesn't. I'm excited I picked it out uh, literally like 20 minutes uh, before airtime so um yeah so this is uh it's gonna be fun let me just make sure I'm broadcasting because I remember last the uh, two weeks ago I screwed up yeah we're on the air so come on you but, can do um, it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, I, sorry, Heather, I've not been watching any of the Olympics. Uh, it's not really my bag. I did. I'm going to tell you, Heather, really quick. Really quick. I watched the surfing, the women's surfing. I turned it on and saw it, and we won gold, and I cried. I cried like a baby because I was so <laughs> proud. So proud because this is the first year for women's surfing. We're getting gold, and they just look so damn happy, and it was so exciting. It was um, quick. that's great. Uh, now you know we can, uh, you know, play and surfing, the, the, sur- surfing the USA. Synchronized diving. Now we can, now yeah. we can play surfing USA until we're blue in the face. Exactly, but the, I also watched synchronized diving, and that also just got me very, very excited about Canada and China. And so, I don't know. It's exciting. I do like the Olympics a little bit. Okay. Surfing USA. So, uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, I just looked it up. This Devil in the Flesh Rose McGowan movie that I got for a dollar fetches uh, up to uh, 12 bucks. Wow. I kind of want to watch that because she was so braggarty about being the daughter of an occult leader, you know? Oh, yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess. uh, And thank you uh, for holding the kiddo drop for us until tonight. uh, Foxfire. Um, And uh, but we do we are going to start off with Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. Chapter three. Are, Are you ready? You ready for that, Suze? Are you ready for that, Suze? Yeah. I'm ready. Here we go. Chapter 3 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Arrival of the Wizard The doorway of the glass palace was quite big enough for the horse and buggy to enter, so Zeb drove straight through it, and the children found themselves in a lofty hall that was very beautiful. The people at once followed and formed a circle around the sides of the spacious room, leaving the horse and buggy and the man with the star to occupy the center of the hall. Come to us, O Gwig, called the man in a loud voice. Instantly, a cloud of smoke appeared and rolled over the floor. Then it slowly spread and ascended into the dome, disclosing a strange personage seated upon a glass throne just before Jim's nose. 
He was formed just as were the other inhabitants of this land, and his clothing only differed from theirs in being bright yellow. But he had no hair at all, and all over his bald head and face and upon the backs of his hands grew sharp thorns like those found on the branches of rose bushes. There was even a thorn upon the tip of his nose, and he looked so funny that Dorothy laughed when she saw him. The sorcerer, hearing the laugh, looked toward the little girl with cold, cruel eyes, and his glance made her grow sober in an instant. Why have you dared to intrude your unwelcome persons into the secluded land of the Mangaboos? he asked sternly. Cause we couldn't help it, said Dorothy. Why did you wickedly and viciously send the rain of stones to crack and break our houses? he continued. We didn't, declared the girl. Prove it, cried the sorcerer. We don't have to prove it, answered Dorothy indignantly. If you had any sense at all, you'd know it was the earthquake. We only know that yesterday came a rain of stones upon us, which did much damage and injured some of our people. Today came another rain of stones, and soon after it you appeared among us. By the way, said the man with the star, looking steadily at the sorcerer, you told us yesterday that there would not be a second rain of stones. Yet one has just occurred that was even worse than the first. What is your sorcery good for if it cannot tell us the truth? My sorcery does tell the truth, declared the thorn-covered man. I said there would be but one rain of stones. This second one was a rain of people and horse and buggy, and some stones came with them. Will there be any more rains? asked the man with the star. No, my prince, neither stones nor people. No, my prince. Are you sure? Quite sure, my prince. My sorcery tells me so. And just then a man came running into the hall and addressed the prince after making a low bow. More wonders in the air, my lord, said he. Immediately the prince and all of his people flocked out of the hall into the street, that they might see what was about to happen. Dorothy and Zeb jumped out of the buggy and ran after them, but the sorcerer remained calmly in his throne. Far up in the air was an object that looked like a balloon. It was not so high as the glowing star of the six colored suns, but was descending slowly through the air, so slowly that at first it scarcely seemed to move. The throng stood still and waited. It was all they could do, for to go away and leave that strange sight was impossible, nor could they hurry its fall in any way. The earth children were not noticed, being so near the average size of the Mangaboos, and the horse had remained in the house of the sorcerer, with Eureka curled up asleep on the seat of the buggy. Gradually the balloon grew bigger, which was proof that it was settling down upon the land of the Mangaboos. Dorothy was surprised to find how patient the people were, for her own little heart was beating rapidly with excitement. A balloon meant to her some other arrival from the surface of the earth, and she hoped it would be someone able to assist her and Zeb out of their difficulties. In an hour the balloon had come near enough for her to see a basket suspended below it. In two hours she could see a head looking over the side of the basket. In three hours the big balloon settled slowly into the great square in which they stood, and came to rest on the glass pavement. 
Then a little man jumped out of the basket, took off his tall hat, and bowed very gracefully to the crowd of mangaboos around him. He was quite an old little man, and his head was long and entirely bald. Why, cried Dorothy in amazement, it's Oz! The little man looked toward her and seemed as much surprised as she was, but he smiled and bowed as he answered, Yes, my dear, I am Oz the Great, the Terrible, eh? And you are little Dorothy from Kansas. I remember you very well. Who did you say it was? whispered Zeb to the girl. It's the wonderful Wizard of Oz. Haven't you heard of him? Just then the man with the star came and stood before the wizard. Sir, said he, why are you here in the land of the Mangaboos? Didn't know what land it was, my son, returned the other with a pleasant smile. And to be honest, I didn't mean to visit you when I started out. I live on top of the earth, your honor, which is far better than living inside it. But yesterday I went up in a balloon, and when I came down I fell into a big crack in the earth caused by an earthquake. I had let so much gas out of my balloon that I could not rise again, and in a few minutes the earth closed over my head. So I continued to descend until I reached this place, and if you will show me a way to get out of it I'll go with pleasure. Sorry to have troubled you, but it couldn't be helped. The prince had listened with attention, said he. This child, who is from the crust of the earth like yourself, called you a wizard. Is not a wizard something like a sorcerer? It's better, replied Oz promptly. One wizard is worth three sorcerers. Ah, you shall prove that, said the prince. We Mangaboos have at the present one of the most wonderful sorcerers that ever was picked from a bush. But he sometimes makes mistakes. Do you ever make mistakes? Never, declared the wizard boldly. Oh, Oz, said Dorothy, you made a lot of mistakes when you were in the marvelous land of Oz. Nonsense, said the little man, turning red, although just then a ray of violet sunlight was on his round face. Come with me, said the prince to him. I wish you to meet our sorcerer. The wizard did not like this invitation, but he could not refuse to accept it. So he followed the prince into the great domed hall, and Dorothy and Zeb came after them, while the throng of people trooped in also. There sat the thorny sorcerer in his chair of state, and when the wizard saw him he began to laugh, uttering comical little chuckles. <laughs> what an absurd creature! he exclaimed. He may look absurd, said the prince in his quiet voice, but he is an excellent sorcerer. The only fault I find with him is that he is so often wrong. I am never wrong, answered the sorcerer. Only a short time ago you told me there would be no more rain of stones or of people, said the prince. Well, what then? Here is another person descended from the air to prove you were wrong. One person cannot be called people, said the sorcerer. If two should come out of the sky, you might with justice say I was wrong. But unless more than this one appears, I will hold that I was right. Very clever, said the wizard, nodding his head as if pleased. I am delighted to find humbugs inside the earth just the same as on top of it. Were you ever with a circus, brother? No, said the sorcerer. You ought to join one. 
declared the little man seriously. I belong to Balaam and Barney's great consolidated shows, three rings in one tent and a menagerie on the side. It's a fine aggregation, I assure you. What do you do? asked the sorcerer. I go up in a balloon, usually to draw the crowds to the circus. But I've just had the bad luck to come out of the sky, skip the solid earth, and land lower down than I intended. But never mind, it isn't everybody who gets a chance to see your land of the Gabazoos. Mangaboos, said the sorcerer, correcting him. If you are a wizard, you ought to be able to call people by their right names. Oh, I'm a wizard, you may be sure of that. Just as good a wizard as you are a sorcerer. That remains to be seen, said the other. If you are able to prove that you are better, said the prince to the little man, I will make you the chief wizard of this domain. Otherwise, what will happen otherwise? asked the wizard. I will stop you from living and forbid you to be planted, returned the prince. That does not sound especially pleasant, said the little man, looking at the one with the star uneasily. But never mind, I'll beat old Prickly all right. My name is Gwig, said the sorcerer, turning his heartless, cruel eyes upon his rival. Let me see you equal the sorcery I'm about to perform. He waved a thorny hand, and at once the tinkling of bells was heard, playing sweet music. Yet look where she would, Dorothy could discover no bells at all in the great glass hall. The Mangaboo people listened, but showed no great interest. It was one of the things Gwig usually did to prove he was a sorcerer. Now was the wizard's turn, so he smiled upon the assemblage and asked, Will somebody kindly loan me a hat? No one did, because the Mangaboos did not wear hats, and Zeb had lost his somehow in his flight through the air. Ahem, <clears throat> said the wizard, will somebody please loan me a handkerchief? But they had no handkerchiefs either. Very good, remarked the wizard. I'll use my own hat if you please. Now, good people, observe me carefully. You see, there is nothing up my sleeve, and nothing concealed about my person. Also, my hat is quite empty. He took off his hat and held it upside down, shaking it briskly. Let me see it, said the sorcerer. He took the hat and examined it carefully, returning it afterward to the wizard. Now, said the little man, I will create something out of nothing. He placed the hat upon the glass floor, made a pass with his hand, and then removed the hat, displaying a little white piglet no bigger than a mouse, which began to run around here and there and to grunt and squeal in a tiny shrill voice. The people watched it intently, for they had never seen a pig before, big or little. The wizard reached out caught the wee creature in his hand, and, holding it between one thumb and finger and its tail between the other thumb and finger, he pulled it apart, each of the two parts becoming a whole and separate piglet in an instant. He placed one upon the floor so that it could run around, and pulled apart the other, making three piglets in all, and then one of these was pulled apart, making four piglets. The wizard continued this surprising performance until nine tiny piglets were running about at his feet, 
all squealing and grunting in a very comical way. "'Now,' said the Wizard of Oz, "'having created something from nothing, I will make something nothing again.' With this he caught up two of the piglets and pushed them together so that the two were one. Then he caught up another piglet and pushed it into the first where it disappeared, and so one by one the nine tiny piglets were pushed together until but a single one of the creatures remained. This the wizard placed underneath his hat and made a mystic sign above it. When he removed his hat, the last piglet had disappeared entirely. The little man gave a bow to the silent throng that had watched him, and then the prince said in his cold, calm voice, You are indeed a wonderful wizard, and your powers are greater than those of my sorcerer. He will not be a wonderful wizard long, remarked Gwig. Why not? inquired the wizard. Because I am going to stop your breath, was the reply. I perceive that you are curiously constructed, and that if you cannot breathe, you cannot keep alive. The little man looked troubled. How long will it take you to stop my breath? he asked. About five minutes. I'm going to begin now. Watch me carefully. He began making queer signs and passes toward the wizard, but the little man did not watch him long. Instead, he drew a leather case from his pocket and took from it several sharp knives which he joined together one after another until they made a long sword. By the time he had attached a handle to this sword, he was having much trouble to breathe as the charm of the sorcerer was beginning to take effect. So the wizard lost no more time, but leaping forward he raised the sharp sword, whirled it once or twice around his head, and then gave a mighty stroke that cut the body of the sorcerer exactly in two. Dorothy screamed and expected to see a terrible sight, but as the two halves of the sorcerer fell apart on the floor, she saw that he had no bones or blood inside of him at all, and that the place where he was cut looked much like a sliced turnip or potato. Why, he's vegetable, cried the wizard, astonished. Of course, said the prince, we are all vegetable in this country. Are you not vegetable also? No, answered the wizard. People on top of the earth are all meat. Will your sorcerer die? Certainly, sir. He is really dead now, and will wither very quickly. So we must plant him at once, that other sorcerers may grow upon his bush," continued the prince. "'What do you mean by that?' asked the little wizard, greatly puzzled. "'If you will accompany me to our public gardens,' replied the prince, "'I will explain to you much better than I can here the mysteries of our vegetable kingdom.'" End of chapter 3 Vegetable violence against vegetation. Yeah, it sounds like a episode of Land Lost in Space we watched recently. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah, really. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, but that that was pretty violent, you know. It was slicing. That, that was fell violent. Half. Yeah. Poor Gwig. He was pruned. He was pruned. But yeah, sorry, I didn't, I didn't didn't have our transition music there. No, he would be. 
Or a soup. <laughs> a nice soup or, or soup. roasted uh, uh, root vegetable oh, casserole. Oh, roasted. Sure. So. Uh, <laughs> he did seem mean. He did seem a little cruel, but I mean, look at that picture of the wizard slicing him in half that I found. I was waiting no, for that. No, did you? I was waiting for that to happen. You said, yeah, you needed pictures, so I've been uh, inundating oh, wow. the chat room with pictures. That's why I missed the transition music. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, the wizard kind of looks like a creep in these pictures. Yeah. He's got the crazy eyebrows that yeah. makes, that's villainous, but... I think that's just something that they do. Yeah. So, but yeah, so Gwig has been sliced and diced and they need to plant him. <laughs> they need to they need to, to to plant him so a prince might grow. Oh, okay. Is that what they said? Good. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like Is a plan. Is that what they said? I'm I'm questioning cuz I was looking at pictures. Mhm. Mm it yep. is. Okay. All right, so yeah. shall we make with uh, Chapter 4, then? Let's do it. Okay, here's Chapter 4. Chapter, chapter four. 4 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vegetable Kingdom After the wizard had wiped the dampness from his sword and taken it apart and put the pieces into the leather case again, the man with the star ordered some of his people to carry the two halves of the sorcerer to the public gardens. Jim pricked up his ears when he heard they were going to the gardens, and wanted to join the party, thinking he might find something proper to eat. So Zeb put down the top of the buggy and invited the wizard to ride with him. The seat was amply wide enough for the little man and the two children, and when Jim started to leave the hall, the kitten jumped upon his back and sat there quite contentedly. So the procession moved through the streets, the bearers of the sorcerer first, the prince next, then Jim drawing the buggy with the strangers inside of it, and last the crowd of vegetable people who had no hearts and could neither smile nor frown. The glass city had several fine streets, for a good many people lived there, but when the procession had passed through these it came upon a broad plain covered with gardens and watered by many pretty brooks that flowed through it. There were paths through these gardens, and over some of the brooks were ornamental glass bridges. Dorothy and Zeb now got out of the buggy and walked beside the prince, so that they might see and examine the flowers and plants better. Who built these lovely bridges? asked the little girl. No one built them, answered the man with the star. They grow. That's queer, said she. Did the glass houses in your city grow too? Of course, he replied, but it took a good many years for them to grow as large and fine as they are now. That is why we are so angry when a rain of stones comes to break our towers and crack our roofs. Can you mend them? she inquired. No, but they will grow together again in time, and we must wait until they do. They first passed through many beautiful gardens of flowers, which grew nearest the city. But Dorothy could hardly tell what kind of flowers they were, because the colors were constantly changing under the shifting lights of the six suns. A flower would be pink one second, white the next, then blue or yellow, and it was the same way when they came to the plants which had broad leaves and grew close to the ground. 
When they passed over a field of grass, Jim immediately stretched down his head and began to nibble. A nice country this is, he grumbled, where a respectable horse has to eat pink grass. It's violet, said the wizard, who was in the buggy. Now it's blue, complained the horse. As a matter of fact, I'm eating rainbow grass. How does it taste? asked the wizard. Not bad at all, said Jim. If they give me plenty of it, I'll not complain about its color. By this time, the party had reached a freshly plowed field, and the prince said to Dorothy, This is our planting ground. Several mangaboos came forward with glass spades and dug a hole in the ground. Then they put the two halves of the sorcerer into it and covered him up. After that, other people brought water from a brook and sprinkled the earth. He will sprout very soon, said the prince, and grow into a large bush, from which we shall in time be able to pick several very good sorcerers. Do all your people grow on bushes? asked the boy. Certainly, was the reply. Do not all people grow upon bushes where you come from, on the outside of the earth? Not that I ever heard of. How strange! But if you will come with me to one of our folk gardens, I will show you the way we grow in the land of the Mangaboos. It appeared that these odd people, while they were able to walk through the air with ease, usually moved upon the ground in the ordinary way. There were no stairs in their houses, because they did not need them, but on a level surface they generally walked just as we do. The little party of strangers now followed the prince across a few more of the glass bridges and along several paths, until they came to a garden enclosed by a high hedge. Jim had refused to leave the field of grass, where he was engaged in busily eating, so the wizard got out of the buggy and joined Zeb and Dorothy, and the kitten followed demurely at their heels. Inside the hedge they came upon row after row of large and handsome plants, with broad leaves gracefully curving until their points nearly reached the ground. In the center of each plant grew a daintily dressed mangaboo, for the clothing of all these creatures grew upon them and was attached to their bodies. The growing mangaboos were of all sizes, from the blossom that had just turned into a wee baby to the full-grown and almost ripe man or woman. On some of the bushes might be seen a bud, a blossom, a baby, a half-grown person, and a ripe one, but even those ready to pluck were motionless and silent, as if devoid of life. This sight explained to Dorothy why she had seen no children among the mangaboos, a thing she had until now been unable to account for. Our people do not acquire their real life until they leave their bushes, said the prince. You will notice they are all attached to the plants by the soles of their feet, and when they are quite ripe they are easily separated from the stems and at once attain the powers of motion and speech. So while they grow they cannot be said to really live, and they must be picked before they can become good citizens. How long do you live after you are picked? asked Dorothy. That depends upon the care we take of ourselves, he replied. If we keep cool and moist and meet with no accidents, we often live for five years. I've been picked over six years, but our family is known to be especially long-lived. Do you eat? asked the boy. Eat? No, indeed. 
We are quite solid inside our bodies and have no need to eat any more than does a potato. But the potatoes sometimes sprout, said Zeb. And sometimes we do, answered the prince, but that is considered a great misfortune, for then we must be planted at once. Where did you grow? asked the wizard. I will show you, was the reply. Step this way, please. He led them within another but smaller circle of hedge, where grew one large and beautiful bush. This, said he, is the royal bush of the Mangaboos. All of our princes and rulers have grown upon this one bush from time immemorial. They stood before it in silent admiration. On the central stalk stood poised the figure of a girl so exquisitely formed and colored and so lovely in the expression of her delicate features that Dorothy thought she had never seen so sweet and adorable a creature in all her life. The maiden's gown was soft as satin and fell about her in ample folds, while dainty lace-like traceries trimmed the bodice and sleeves. Her flesh was fine and smooth as polished ivory, and her poise expressed both dignity and grace. "'Who is this?' asked the wizard curiously. The prince had been staring hard at the girl on the bush. Now he answered with a touch of uneasiness in his cold tones. "'She is the ruler destined to be my successor, for she is a royal princess.' When she becomes fully ripe, I must abandon the sovereignty of the Mangaboos to her. Isn't she ripe now? asked Dorothy. He hesitated. Not quite, said he finally. It will be several days before she needs to be picked, or at least that is my judgment. I am in no hurry to resign my office and be planted, you may be sure. Probably not, declared the wizard, nodding. This is one of the most unpleasant things about our vegetable lives, continued the prince with a sigh, that while we are in our full prime we must give way to another and be covered up in the ground to sprout and grow and give birth to other people. I'm sure the princess is ready to be picked, asserted Dorothy, gazing hard at the beautiful girl on the bush. She's as perfect as she can be. Never mind, answered the prince hastily. She will be all right for a few days longer, and it's best for me to rule until I can dispose of you strangers who have come to our land uninvited and must be attended to at once. What are you going to do with us? asked Zeb. That is a matter I have not quite decided upon, was the reply. I think I shall keep this wizard until a new sorcerer is ready to pick, for he seems quite skillful and may be of use to us. But the rest of you must be destroyed in some way, and you cannot be planted, because I do not wish horses and cats and meat people growing all over our country. You needn't worry, said Dorothy. We wouldn't grow underground, I'm sure. But why destroy my friends? asked the little wizard. Why not let them live? They do not belong here, returned the prince. They have no right to be inside the earth at all. We didn't ask to come down here. We fell, said Dorothy. That is no excuse, declared the prince coldly. The children looked at each other in perplexity, and the wizard sighed. Eureka rubbed her paw on her face and said in her soft purring voice, He won't need to destroy me, 
for if I don't get something to eat pretty soon, I shall starve to death, and so save him the trouble. If he planted you, he might grow some cattails, suggested the wizard. Oh, Eureka, perhaps we can find you some milkweeds to eat, said the boy. Pooh, snarled the kitten, I wouldn't touch the nasty things. You don't need milk, Eureka, remarked Dorothy. You're big enough now to eat any kind of food. If I can get it, added Eureka. I'm hungry myself, said Zeb. But I noticed some strawberries growing in one of the gardens, and some melons in another place. These people don't eat such things, so perhaps on our way back they will let us get them. Never you mind your hunger, interrupted the prince. I shall order you destroyed in a few minutes, so you will have no need to ruin our pretty melon vines and berry bushes. Follow me, please, to meet your doom. End of chapter 4 Looking for melons. Picky cats. That's right. People oh, in the picky bushes. Cats. Bush people. Yep. The bush people. The vegetable people that live underground. It kind of makes sense. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, most of us get put underground when we're dead. Yeah, they, but then we rot. And then we feed them. And we feed them. And they exhale car oxygen and feed us. Because plants Circle of life. oxygen and inhale carbon dioxide. And we exhale yes. carbon dioxide to feed them. It's a circle of life. Uh-oh, there's a kiddo teaser. I see some cat action. Oh! Who doesn't love a cat? That's nice. Cannot wait for a kiddo. That's pretty cute. Yeah, that's very cute. What's that cat's name again? Um, Eureka, because I found him. Eureka! We should have named, Ten named Tennessee Eureka, because I found him. That could be his middle name. He has about 20 middle names just added on. Yeah, he does. Yeah, what is it? He Bottle does. Rocket, Motorcycle, Anaconda, Eureka. Yep. Chainsaw. Chainsaw. Yeah. He uh, likes the sound <laughs> of chainsaws. Uh, Captain Zumi. Um, so, anyway. Uh, yeah, so there we go. Uh, shall we uh, just uh, hop and skip down to Wormwood Forest? Uh, maybe there's some vegetable critters living down there. Let's do it. All right, here comes the crappy rooster, everybody. <laughs> oh, boy, another day in Wormwood Forest. Hello, boys and girls. Again, it's time for another visit with our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen a while, you'll want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Dippy Dwarf. Today, Frankie and Kitty put their heads together and come up with Susie Skunk. So don't leave your radio, listen to our animal show. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Well, that's one way to get downstairs in a hurry. Hiya, Dippy Dwarf. Hello, Frankie Frog. Yeah, what you looking at, huh? The Pig's Hotel, across the road there. It sure is a handsome building, Dippy. The Harmony Plaza, bright and new. And look at my hotel, the Dwarf Waldorf. Yeah, old and run down. Yes. 
When Barbecue Pig moved into her own hotel, she left me one vacant room here. And I haven't rented it yet, Frankie. Well, gosh, Dippy, you can't blame anyone for preferring to stay in the pig's hotel, no, can you? I suppose not, Frankie. But just the same, I need to rent my vacant room. Need the money to pay bills, buy groceries, buy Easter eggs. Hey, I tell you what I'll do, Shorty. Something helpful? Hey, Natch. I'll help up to Kitty's room, and we'll plan an advertising campaign for the Dwarf Waldorf. You're a real fiend, Frankie. Well, pardon me while I hop upstairs. And down the halls to Kitty's room. Her pretty cat is like a melody. Oh, it's my dream frog, Frankie. Yeah. Hiya, Kitty baby. Uh, may I come in? Of course. You can watch me look at myself in the mirror. Hey, Kittykins, uh, we gotta help Dippy Dwarf. Is he in trouble? Well, not trouble, exactly. It's about this here hotel. I thought things were rather cozy here now, without the pig. Well, that's just it. The pig moved into her own hotel, and now there's a vacant room down the hall. No wonder this second floor has been so quiet. Whenever anyone wants a room these days, they go over to the Harmony Plaza instead of coming over here. Oh, I don't blame them. If I could afford it, I'd live over there myself. Yeah, but look at it from Debbie's point of view. He needs the room rent. Have you paid him your room rent? Yeah, well, no, uh, I'm in arrears three years. Uh, what about you? I only owe for two years. Well, see there, Debbie doesn't get any money from us. Uh, he needs a paying guest. Well, what can we do about it? Well, I suggest we start an advertising campaign for this hotel and rent that room. Good. Shall we go down the hall and have a look at it? A splendiferous idea, Kitty. After you, you lovely fluff of fur. Say the truest thing. Uh, the room is right here. Hey, the door's open. Look at this room. Oh, the pig sure left it in a mess when she moved out. No curtains at the window. No rug on the floor. The bed looks like a pig slept in it. Yeah, and that chair is on its last legs. Frog, if we're going to rent this room for Dippy... Hey, Kitty, what are you thinking? Your whiskers are twitching. We'll have to redecorate this room. Yeah, and completely refurnish it. With fresh paint and new furniture. I can see it now. We'll fix a new room, a red room, or blue room. And surprise Dippy Dwarf, you bet, when he sees this new room. Not like a pool room, a bright room, a cool room, that he can rent without a care, this new room far the way upstairs. Frankie, if we can make it look the way you make it sound... <laughs> It'll be gorgeous. Yes. Well, there's no time for dreaming about it. We gotta do something about it. What first? Well, I'll hop over to the Grasshopper's Junk Shop and get some paint. And I'll go over to Susie Skunk's. She's good at interior decorating. Oh, I do hope Susie Skunk is in. If you're working your way through military school by selling goose steps, I don't... Oh, hello, Kitty. Hello, Susie Skunk. Are you busy? Only moderately so. Do come in. Thank you. I've been making truffle waffles for my woodchucky. Oh, is Dumb Clock here? Oh, yes, he's in the kitchen. You, Chucky, I have company. You do? I thought I was your company. I'm here now, Woodchuck. Oh, nice to see you, Kitty. Won't you sit down, Kitty? Sue, I must speak to you privately. Well, don't mind me. I don't. But you must leave the room. Please, Chucky, go in the kitchen and have a truffle. Oh, Susie, are you truffling with my affection? Oh, no. Oh, I wouldn't dare. But I must talk to Kitty. No, Kitty. She thinks she'd catch me out. 
Who is more important, a kitty or a woodchuck? <gasps> What's so important, kitty? Sue, it's about the vacant room in the dwarf wall door. Oh, you mean the room where Barbecue Pig stayed until our hotel was built? Yes, it's vacant, and I want you to help me rent it. Oh, really? I couldn't rent it. My house here has more room than I can live in. Oh, I couldn't go in a hotel room. You don't understand, Sue. I want you to help me redecorate the room. Oh, I didn't do it to do that. Make the slip covers, crochet the bedspread, hang the pictures like stair steps on the wall. Can and... you help me? Oh, yes. When do we start? Right now. Oh, I'll get my bonnet and fascinate it. Oh, Chucky! Oh, yes, sweetie Susie. I'm going now. Keep the home fires burning. But, Susie, the truffle waffles. Eat all you want and put the rest in my purse. I have some inferior decorating to do. <laughs> Well, here's the grasshopper's junk shop. Uh, hiya, Gerald Grasshopper. Hi, Frankie Frog. They de today. You sure do. We're fixing up a room in the dwarf wall door, and I need some paint. Got lots of paint around here. These cads. Yeah, uh, what colors? Don't rightly know. Let me look this cad. Hey, looks like tobacco, don't it? Yeah. Hey, that's not a can of paint. It's a cuspidor. Oh, so it is. Uh, what about those cans over there, Gerald? Aha, uh -huh, these must be the cans of paint. I'll open up the lids. Hey, that can is only half full. And so is that one. Well, what do you expect at a junk shop? Uh, do you have enough of any one color? Well, that depends on what you call enough. I remember one time when I was wrestling with a doodle bug. I pinned his legs to the ground, twisted his wings until he cried, Enough, enough. That's how much was enough for a doodle bug. Yeah, yeah. But I'm a frog, and I want enough paint to paint a hotel room. Tell you what I'll do, boy. Take these three cans of paint, red, green, purple, and orange. I'll sell you a striped paintbrush. And I can stripe the walls. Hey, that's not a bad idea. The grasshopper, you're really clever. Oh, I wouldn't say that. But when it comes to paint, though, I'm slightly brilliant. Yeah, how do you account for that? I use a high-gloss enamel. <laughs> Well, Susie Skunk, we finished shopping. Yes, and I almost have more bundles than I can carry. Well, here comes Frankie Frog. We'll let him carry the bundle. But look, he already has his hands full cans of paint. Oh, so he has. <coughs> Frankie! <coughs> yeah, hi, you kitty baby. Susie? Hello, Frog. Gee, look at the bundles. Couldn't you carry them back to the dwarf Waldorf for us? Yeah, I already have a load. Now, these are cans of paint and this striped paintbrush. Frankie, I just thought of something. Yeah, what? Who's going to pay for all these things? Who paid? Uh, yeah. Gee whiz. I never thought about that. Then start thinking. Money, money. Be, 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 be. Uh, do you have any money, Kitty? No, and if I did, I wouldn't spend it this way. I haven't any money either. <laughs> Jeepers. Hey, who's that over there by the chestnut tree? It looks like Timothy Turtle. Maybe he has some money. You know, I'll ask him. Hey, Turtle. Oh, me. He's asleep as usual. Wake him up. Well, I'll tap on his shell with a striped paintbrush. Hey, Tim, wake up. Oh, um, what time is it? Well, it's time for you to come out of that shell and talk to us. Don't want to come out. You come out or I'll come in there and scratch your eyes out. I'll come out. I'm out. <laughs> Timothy, do you have any money? Nope, not a right science. Oh, what about a blue nickel or a dollar greenback? 
the only greenback I have is the one under my shale. Yeah, I might have known a turtle would have any money. He's too lazy to earn any. I'm not lazy. It's just that my energy is tired. Frankie. Uh, yeah, kitty baby. Timothy could carry these bundles back to the dwarf Waldorf for us. Hey, he could at that. Uh, Timothy, hold out your hands. Why? Don't ask questions. Uh, just do as I say. Hold out your hands. Like that? Yeah, that's perfect. Now, take these bundles. And these cans of paint. What about my bundles? Pile them on, too, Susie. Oh, goody. There. I, I sure let myself get hooked in the vias. Now, you take them right over to the dwarf Waldorf turtle and go up to the second floor with them. Oh, my. How could I be so misguided? On your way, turtle. Sometimes I wonder if it pays to be so accommodating. Now our hands are free. We can go do more shopping for that room. We do need some thistle-down pillows. Yeah, and we do need some money. Barbecue pig is wealthy. Go get some money from her, Frankie. But, but, but will she let me have money to fix up a rival hotel? Be clever, Frog. Don't let her know. You can do it, Frankie. You have a green head. <laughs> well, I'll try. See you two later. <laughs> in the window of the pig's hotel and see if she's in the lobby. Yeah, there she is. Hey, she's talking to Swindler Q. Fox. Wonder what they're talking about. Oh, I declare you do say the clever thing, Swindler Q. That's because I'm a fox. <laughs> Heavens, I do believe someone's at the door. Then permit me to see who it is. Oh, do by all means. Hey, hiya, Swindler Q. Fox. Is the pig in? Uh, one moment. I'll see if the pig wishes to see you. Hey, don't you give me that runaround business. I'm hopping in. Better wait here while I speak to the pig. Uh, you wait here. I'm going to speak to her. Uh, oh, barbecue pig. Uh, hiya. Franklin Frog is our live and breathe. The uh, pig, you know, I don't see any shrubbery in here, so I can't beat around the bush. But I'll come straight to the point. Whatever do you mean? Uh, I need some money. Quick. So, pardon the expression, what? Yeah, open up your safe and give me a few bills, pig. Of all the unmitigated news. Oh, pig, it's for the beautification of a drab part of Wormwood. Oh, it'll improve the looks of things. It sure will. It's your civic duty to give me some cash. I adore being civic-minded. I'll open up my push-button money box. Stand back out of the way, Frank. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, I'll push this button here... And here is my money box at my pig feet. Gee, look at all the money. Uh, hurry, pig. For the beautification fund, I hereby give you eight seventeen dollar bills. And for the cash, I hereby give you seven fourteen carrot kisses. Oh, oh heavens! When you play post office, it's a red letter day in the mailbox. <laughs> Have you hung the pictures? All but one. It's up. Frankie, are you through striping the wall? A couple of more squishes of the striped paintbrush, like this. And the walls are all striped and colorful. Oh, this room is gorgeous. New slip covers, soft thistle-down pillows. Yeah, I'll hop down and tell Dippy about it. Hey, Dippy. The Dippy Dwarf. Hey, I'm right here, Frankie. No need to shout. Uh, come upstairs and see the big surprise, Shorty. Oh, I like surprises. Well, come on. I'm coming. You don't have to pull my beard. 
And now right down the hall to the room that the pig vacated. Surprise! Look at this room. Why, it's beautiful. And now you won't have any trouble renting it, Betty. I should think not. It's so beautiful, it'll rent in a minute. Oh, Dippy, your worries are over. The room's already rented. It is? Yes. It's so much more beautiful than my old room. That you're going to rent it? Right. Now you don't have to fret about this room being vacant. Oh, Kitty, you're so noble to make such a sacrifice for a friend. Well, it's not all sacrifice. The minute I walked in... I could see myself in this room. Well, that's not strange. There are mirrors on every wall. <laughs> no wonder Kitty could see herself, and maybe the mirrors will reflect good luck for Dippy Dwarf and his animal friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, that's all today. We're so glad that you could stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Till next time, Frankie Frog sees a poster that changes his life. Till then, this is Dippy Dwarf saying so long. Wormwood Forest, written by Tom Titchener, has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Yeah, I think there's uh, some type of um, business professor might need to go to Wormwood Forest to let them know how businesses are actually run. Yeah, they they just... I don't know. <laughs> Give me some money or I'll scratch your eyes at you freaking turtle. Yeah, you know, that cat is violence. She really does threaten people, and they really respond positively to it. Yeah, yeah. They, they no are one is ever like, hey, cat, stop re threatening violence. They're nope. reinforcing bad behavior. That's right. Yeah, so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, look at that. This was a frog kissing a pig way before uh, Kermit and Piggy. Way before. Yeah. Way before. So... Um, gosh, we had a couple surprise sales while we were doing our show. Uh, this is hysterical. Uh, we, we just got this the other day, a sealed copy of 1998 uh, Shaquille O'Neal as Steel on VHS sealed. Yeah. <laughs> we just sold it for $13.99. Uh, yeah, I was pretty happy about that. But uh -oh. I did put in the description, wow, Shaquille O'Neal looks young because he's doing so many commercials. Yeah. And this was like 20 years ago when he made this movie. Sure, it was he uh, looks really 23 yummy. years ago. Yeah. But so, he's looking, you know, he's doing, it's just weird. Yeah. So. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, no, that was fun. We only have a few more episodes of Wormwood Forest to go. That'll get us through the summer, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so I can't believe we sold. That's the first sealed copy of a movie we sold was Steel. That's such a stinker of a movie. I love it. But again, is it a sealed um. movie? A sealed movie is like, you know, people love it. But yeah, Foxfire. Let's do a five five minute mystery uh, for a break, and we'll play our intro music again, and then we'll uh, uh, once you hear the intro music, you go ahead and uh, do the kiddo drop, and we'll get into yeah. Uh, Jerry of the Circus and my audio surprise for everybody. How about that? Whoop, whoop. I'm excited. Okay. All right. We'll be back uh, about uh, five minutes. <laughs> 
Another five-minute mystery. tell you, Janice, it's got to be slick. Mm, no, it won't work, Roger. It's too uncertain. But there's nothing to go wrong. Now listen, those custom boys are used to naive, stupid smuggling. We've got to be smart, that's all. And you think your idea is? Look, Janice, why isn't it? We get on the boat. We're strangers. We never speak to each other. No one on the boat can connect us in any way. Now, I get off first, and right away I have my trunk and bags examined. By the time I'm through, you're off and you're waiting. Then... Yes, but that timing. How can I be sure there won't be a lot of people under letter G and only me at K? For heaven's sake, Janice, you can stall somehow. We'll be near enough to each other to see how things are going. Okay, okay. Then I pick up my three bags and walk over toward you. I'm clumsy and I don't see where I'm going. I bump into you and as I do, you drop my wallet. I pick it up. With your hands full of bags, I suppose. Well, maybe you pick it up. We don't have to rehearse a scene like that. If anyone thinks he sees you drop it, my initials and identification will prove it's mine, especially as I've just been through the customs. It'll look as if I had it in my hand. Mm, sounds good, Roger. Good. It's perfect. Why, with a diamond market the way it is, we'll clean up in America, honey. Roger, if this works, you're a genius. <laughs> you want to declare, Mr. Griswold? Uh, that's all. You're clear then, Mr. Griswold. Guess you're glad to be home. I certainly am. More than you can guess. Yeah, it must be pretty tough in Lisbon, even for Americans. Oh, can you manage that packing by yourself? Oh, yes, thanks. I must be clumsy about this now. Ah, there's Janice, good girl. She's just arrived. Fine. Well, here we go. I beg your pardon. Well, why don't you look where you're going? Oh, oh just a minute. I, I think you dropped this wallet. What? Oh, yes, yes. I guess I did. Oh, thanks very much. Wait a minute there. He didn't drop that, miss. You did. Oh, no, you're mistaken. That isn't my wallet. Well, indeed it isn't. I saw you drop it, miss. Say, what's going on here? Oh, nothing's going on. This gentleman ran into me and dropped his wallet, and I picked it up, and that's all. How do you know it's his wallet? Because his initials are on it. Oh, they are, are they? What are your names? Janice Kite. I'm Roger Griswold, but I don't Well, see... Janice Kite and Roger Griswold, you're both under arrest for smuggling. How did the customs official discover their trick? In just a minute, we'll hear. First, a word from our sponsor. Now, back to our story. 
Look here, you can't arrest me for smuggling. Well, you remember I asked you, Miss Kite, how you knew it was his wallet that had dropped. Mm, yes. You said you knew it was his because his initials were on it. Well, aren't they? Yes, his initials are there, all right, but on the inside. And when the wallet dropped to the floor, it didn't fall open so you couldn't have seen them. Therefore, I knew you had previous knowledge of them. Yes, you two had a nice little package of 15 diamonds in that wallet. And now, how about a free ride to the station house? <laughs> It wasn't for those meddling kids. Oh, those meddling kids. Mm. It's old Mr. Haney who runs the mill. <laughs> whatever. Oh, it's Mr. Haney that runs well, the mill. No, Mr. Haney come by and try and sell you something. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good impression, actually. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ted Cruz could do a better one. Oops, sorry. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so welcome back, everybody. I still can't believe we sold Steel. Of all the movies we have, somebody bought, like, the I... crappiest one. Well... Got to be a gag gift. Maybe, <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I was afraid I priced it too low. It sold so fast because I literally just posted it. Like six minutes ago, and I was right. like, "Damn!" And there's no other one on for sale, but they sell for six dollars. So, well, oh, kiddo drop. Oh, there's kiddo. Oh my god! Oh that's so great. Ah, <sighs> after an unfortunate balloon malfunction, kiddo helps the wizard return to Oz. That's brilliant. Oh my gosh! He's that's flapping so his great. little fins. He's flapping his little fins. Kiddo so, can do anything. Dorothy and Eureka, look on. He really That's can. amazing. It really is. Great job, Foxfire. It, Thank you. Really, Foxfire, this is so imaginative. I'm just, I'm floored. Like, I'm, gosh. Well. I think Kiddo can do anything. He really anything can. Anything is little, his three little heads put in, put anything his three little heads get set on. All wow. right. I saved that as Kiddo Oz Flight. Uh, so awesome. Set to coloring here momentarily, and 
We're going to get to Jerry of the Circus. Uh, of course, the current story arc of Jerry of the Circus involves uh, some kind of uh, prowler, thief in the night. And uh, yeah. last we heard, Jerry was going to set up a camera. He was going to rig up a camera to try and catch, yeah. get pictures of the thief. Um, yeah. And because uh, he's now he's helping Clara, who is the she was the wardrobe uh, lady mm -hmm. of the circus, I believe. So yeah. Uh, let's uh, check in with uh, our our good old kid uh, Jerry. Jerry of the circus. Jerry of the Circus. Well, Jerry, looks like this is going to be a wet night. Trying to be. It is. Look at all that mud out in the backyard. Well, this is the first time it's rained since you've been with the circus, isn't it? Yeah, and I can't say that I like it much. <laughs> it's too hard keeping clean. I had to keep wiping the mud off Rag's paws right up to the minute he went into the ring with Crumps. Well, it is kind of messy. But if you'll notice, Jerry, everyone looks pretty clean when they go into the big top to do their act. Stilts and rain cakes do the trick all right. I know what those rain capes are, but, but what are stilts, Patsy? Well, the stilts are what we call these funny-looking little shoes. Oh, I, I thought they were wooden shoes. <laughs> they, they are, really, like the Japanese wear. We call them stilts because they keep us up high and dry above the mud when we have to walk across the lawn. Golly, that was close. Too close. I'm afraid this is going to turn into a bad storm. It's a good thing the show's almost over. It sure is raining hard now. The backyard will be a lake if this keeps up. Oh, sir. <laughs> What a night. Well, Rags, how is it you didn't get your paws all muddy this time? Did you wear stilts, too? <laughs> I guess Bumps was his stilts. How about it, Bumps? <laughs> I carried my partner over from the wagon. He, he couldn't have walked across that mud. <laughs> He'd have had to swim. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Bumps. No, not at all. I'm just as interested in that dog as you are, Jerry. Well, he's my partner, and I have to keep him looking nice, you know. Oh, are you afraid, Patsy? Well, I guess I'm not afraid, but I certainly don't like that lightning. I think I'll run for it. I'm going to get my things packed and hurry over to the train. Yeah, might just as well. This rain doesn't show any signs of letting up. Well, I go. See you on the train. Goodbye, Patsy. Rags, <laughs> come here. You can't go out in all that mud. You stay right here now. 
you have to go on for the last walk around with bumps and a few <laughs> I guess he'd kind of like to follow Patsy and see if she gets over to her wagon safe. Eh? Oh, so that's it, huh? <laughs> it's a good thing we're pulling out of here tonight. That grounds will be pretty wet for a show tomorrow. I don't envy the men who load this circus tonight. Maybe it'll be raining in the, ne- the next town, too. Well, that's a chance we take. Why doesn't Mr. Randall cut the show short and get loaded on the trains now before the storm gets worse? Well, that's something that's never done, Jerry. The people in there paid their money to see the complete show, and that's what they'll get if they want to stay and watch it. They'll sure get caught in the rain when they get out. And wait until they see all that mud around the line. Oh, they'll see it all right, Jerry, but they won't get into it. That's another thing Mr. Randall always takes care of. What do you mean, Bob? Well, ever since the rain started and it looked like a bad storm, the stakers have been laying boards from the main entrance to the cement sidewalk. Well, there'll be a regular wooden sidewalk for the folks to walk on when the show's over. Golly, Mr. Randall thinks of everything, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, pretty near. He does everything he can to make his customers comfortable. <laughs> Oh, 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 there goes the finale. Here, come on, Rags. Let's get your red ribbon on. He sure is anxious to work, isn't he, Bob? <laughs> you bet he is. He's a real trooper. There you are, Rags. Yeah, now that's a boy. <laughs> you wait right here in the pad room, Jerry. As soon as I come off, you can carry Rags, and I'll gather up my props, and we'll both make a run for our wagon. Okay, Bumps. Now do a good show tonight, Rags. <laughs> look, Bumps. The center pole. The lightning's bucket. Yes, sir. Right up at the top, and it's hanging there all right. See, it's a good thing Patsy finished her act before this happened. Just look at that trapeze of hers hanging by one rope. Gee, Bumps, the audience is getting scared. Yeah, yeah, but don't you get frightened now. We'll get them calm. Come on, come on. Stay right where you are, Jerry. Ladies and gentlemen, the Circus of Wonders has arrived. Please resume your seat. There's no cause for alarm. The tent is securely held up by the other poles. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we will have the grand finale march. After which we all leave in absolute safety. You see that, Jerry? <laughs> that ringmaster sure knows his business. Collie, you sure got him quiet in a hurry. Yeah, we'll have him laughing in a hurry, too. Come on, Rex. Gee, <laughs> circus life is sure wonderful. <laughs> Come on, Rags. Here's Claire's tent. Here, boy. Hello, Clara. Well, Jerry, hello. And Rags. Wait a minute, Jerry. There we are. Nice day, isn't it? Certainly better than you'd expect after last night in that other town. My goodness, I'll say it is, and mighty welcome. Guess nobody around a circus lot likes a rainstorm like we had. It sure makes a lot of extra work, doesn't it? Mercy me, it sure does. I've been pressing costumes ever since breakfast. Seems like everybody got wet. Oh, say, Clara, I wanted to ask you something. I mean, I want to tell you about my plan. What is it, Jerry? Well, I got an idea, and I think it'll work. I'm pretty sure we can catch a thief that's been stealing your things. Fine, Jerry. Tell me about it. Well, I'm going to ask Jack Hastings, a publicity man, to fix up a camera. By your workbench here, so it'll take a picture of whoever's doing the stealing. That's a good idea, Jerry, but I don't think it'll work. Why not? Because the things have been disappearing at night, and you can't take pictures in the dark at night. Oh, sure you can. You just fix up a flashlight bulb with a camera and set a sort of trap with a string that'll set off the flash bulb with the camera. Well, land sakes, that is clever. Then when we get the pictures, we'll know exactly who the guilty one is. Uh Uh-huh. We can take the picture to Mr. Randall, and, and then he can catch whoever it is. You're a real detective, Jerry. 
That's a very good idea. Clara, look, here comes Major Mike. Hmm, wonder what he wants. Well, I'm going now and see if I can get Jack Hastings to help me out with my idea. See you later. Goodbye. Come on, Rags. Goodbye, Jerry. Don't bark at the Major Mike. Stop it. Go on about your business, dog. Go on. Get. Hello, Major Mike. Never mind getting friendly, Clara. Here's my satin coat. I want you to press it. And I want it before the matinee. Well, now, wait a minute, Major. I'm not so sure I can get it done for you by matinee time. Oh, it only takes a couple of minutes to press that coat, and you know it. Yes, that's right. But there are others ahead of you. I have a lot of costumes to get ready before the matinee performance. My costume is just as important as anybody else's. Ever since I've been with this outfit, you've been picking on me. First, you sewed up the armholes in my coat. Then last month, you sewed up the buttonholes and caused me no end of embarrassment. I've told you a hundred times I didn't do that. I don't go around thinking of ways to make people angry. You got me wrong, Major. Oh, no, I haven't got you wrong. I'm not the only one who can sew on this lot. Why don't you ask your friend, the bearded lady, if she knows who sewed up the buttonholes on your coat? She's not my friend. Don't you dare call her my friend. If she doesn't leave this circus at the end of the season, I will. I'll tell you, I'll never do another season with her. <laughs> That's what you said last year. Well, um, well... I mean it this time. She kind of likes you, Major. I don't care if she does. I don't like her. <laughs> I never did and never will. I'll take no more kidding about it from you or anybody else. Now, Major. There's my coat. Are you going to have it ready for me before the show or aren't you? I'll try to get it finished, but I can't promise. Oh, you'll try, huh? You mean you'll try to make me miserable and keep slighting me just because I'm little? Well, I'll try and make you just as miserable. You'll pay for the way you've been treating me. You just watch and see. I'll be back for that coat before the midway opens, and it better be ready. Goodbye. Goodbye, Major. Heavy days. He may be small, but he's sure got a big temper, all right. Here we are, Jack. Okay, Jerry, go ahead. Well, Jerry, you back again? And Jack Hastings. Well, come in, come in. The boy detective here has an idea he wants to work out. I told Claire all about it already. You mean about putting a camera up here in my tent? And taking a picture of the robber? Yeah, what do you think of it, Clara? I think it's a good idea. An excellent idea, I might say. And it'll work, too. Won't it, Jack? Yeah, it'll work all right. The police have used that method and found it quite successful. The only hitch is, when the flashbulb goes off, it gives the whole thing away. The ones who just had their pictures taken might look for the camera and take it with them. <laughs> that wouldn't be so good for the owner of the camera, would it? No, it wouldn't. That's why I'm going to use this old one. Then you're really going to set it up like Jerry suggested? Sure we are. What can we lose? It'll catch the thief, all right. Then your troubles will be all over, Clara. Well, I hope so. I'm going to have to set it up now, if you don't mind, Clara. Goodness me, I don't mind. <laughs> as long as it doesn't go off and take my picture. It won't. Jack's just going to fix it now, but he won't connect the wires until tonight. Hand me that box there, Jerry. Okay. Here you are. All right. Jerry tells me that you've been having a lot of robberies lately, Clara. What seems to be the trouble? I don't understand it, Jack. The things that are being stolen aren't of any real value to anybody else except my gold thimble. Just a lot of things that, well, things a child would want or maybe a little girl that was going to make doll dresses. Tinsel and braid and things like that. Yes. Here now, Jerry, pull this wire up there. That's it. How about setting the camera between these bolts of cloth, Clara? Won't be in your way there, will it? Van sakes, No. I won't get at those today. I've got too much pressing and repairing to do. That ought to take a good picture, huh? That's just about the right angle. From there, the camera will take in pretty near the whole tent. I'm sorry I have to do this now, Clara, but I've got to take a lot of pictures in the menagerie this afternoon and won't have time to do this later on. That's perfectly all right. 
I don't mind now that I know I won't set the blame thing off. What's the matter? Don't you like to have your picture taken? Well, I don't take a very good picture, Jerry. Oh, I don't know about that, Clara. I've taken some nice ones of you. Mm, yes, but that was a few years ago. And time does change a person, you know. Ah, uh, flesh bulb, Jerry. That's it. I don't guess you've changed much, Clara. You're just as nice now as you were when I joined up with Mr. Randall. Now, go on with you, Jack Hastings. You quit your joshing. I'm not joshing, Clara. It's true. That's right. You told me on the way over here that you were one of the nicest persons with the circus. Well, now, sakes alive. Let's see now. I think that's it, Jerry. It should work perfect. How's it fixed? I've got six small bell pushers hidden in the sawdust. Even if a person knew where they were, they'd have a hard time not stepping on one of them. Which one sets off the camera? I've got them all hooked up to both the camera and the flash bulb. Just the slightest step on any of them will set the flash and the camera off at the same time. And then we'll have a picture of the thief. We hope so. Well, won't we? I guess we will if the thief comes around here tonight. <laughs> and he doesn't run off with the camera. That's right. I sure hope this works out okay. Thanks a lot, Jack. That's all right, Jerry. Well, goodbye, Clara. Let's hope we have good luck tonight. Goodbye, Jack. So long. See you later. Jack's pretty nice to help you like this, Jerry. He sure is. Well, I, I gotta get back over to the horse tent now and help Whitey some more. Come on, Rags. Rags! Now where are you, Rags? Here, Jerry. Here he is on this pile of scraps of cloth. And sound asleep, too. Rags, come on, sleepyhead. We've gotta go. Goodbye, Clara. Goodbye, Jerry. We'll let you know who the thief is tomorrow. <laughs> like a pretty elaborate setup. Well, we're going to find out soon. We'll know who the thief is. I can't wait. Will we, though? I because don't know. this is only like the third part of a 12-part story arc, I think. So, you know how long and drawn out the first one was. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. we shall see, though. Uh... But yeah, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get some clues. I, I think it's, a, I, I seriously, I think I mentioned it the first time. I think it's a monkey or something. Yeah, I said it was a bird trying to build a nest, but I don't know. Could be. So, but yeah, I think, uh, I think it's, I think it's a monkey. My bet. But, monkey. Uh, yeah, so there's the nice, long Jerry and the Circus music, everyone. It'll never end. Yay! It never ends. Never, never, never. Uh, but yeah, so we do have another part queued up. And then we get to our surprise. Uh, I have two episodes of our surprise lined up, but we'll probably not have time to get to one. Let's see what people think about it after Jerry and the Circus. But, uh, yeah, so uh, are, are you just on the edge of your seat? Do you want me to just go ahead and... Am. Uh, Fire up uh, Jerry. We we could the next Jerry and the Jerry of the circus. Yeah. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Jerry of the circus.
for Jerry of the Circus. Hello, Aga. Here's your friend, Major Mike, again. I got some more bananas for you. Nice chimpanzee. Here you are. Come on, Aga. Gonna let you out of your cage. Nice, Aga. Quiet. I want you to go over there to the wardrobe tent and muss up Clara's things again. But no more stealing. You get me into real trouble if you keep taking things the way you've been doing. Just throw things around so Clara will have to clean it all up. And when you get back here, I'll give you the rest of these bananas. Hurry now. Come on. I told Clara I'd make a trouble, and I'm doing it. It's like me, because I'm a midget. Put me off, because I'm little, will she? I just hope that chimpanzee fixes up her tent so it'll take her hours to straighten it out again. I was sure smart to think of getting Aga to do this for me. No one will ever figure out it's me who's letting her out of the cage at night. Carol rue the day she ever mistreated me. Uh-oh. Flash of light. What was that? Somebody in the tent. I hope they don't catch her. Aga. 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 Aga, hurry up. Faster. Oh, hurry, Aga, hurry. Here, get in the cage. Quick now. Oh, come on. Uh, your bananas are on the floor there. I'm getting out of here. That dog is coming. Whoever it is, but you never mind about that. We'll let Mr. Randall take care of that. Sure, you want to help, but we've got other work to do now. Didn't you see that flash bulb go off? The picture was taken all right. Come on now, Rags. Let's go in and get the camera. <laughs> Quiet, Rags. You'll wake up everybody on the lot. You want to do this all by yourself. Well, here's the camera. Now let's take it over to Jack Hastings. He's generally working late in, in his wagon. Come on now, let's run. Come on, Rags. This way, Rags. Over here. Look, there's a light in Jack's wagon. He's there. Hello, who is it? It's Jerry. Come in, Jerry. We got it. We got it, Jack. Got what? Here's your camera. The picture's been taken. Good, good boy. I'm just developing the pictures, but I took the animals. Then you can develop this picture? Yeah. Rags and me, well, we saw somebody go in Clara's tent, but... But it was so dark we couldn't make out who it was, and and he wasn't in there one second until the flash went off. You sure about this, Jerry? Sure. Wait until you develop the picture. You'll see. Here, I'll get this plate out of the camera, and we'll get the thing developed. My trick worked, didn't it? Looks like it did, Jerry. Let's dip this in the soup here and see what kind of a picture we got. Into the soup? Yeah, Jerry, that's what we call this developer. I bet it wouldn't be good soup to eat, though. I'm afraid not. You'd most likely have a pretty sick stomach if you ate any of it. It's acid. Look. The picture's coming out now. Yeah, just another minute now. Can you make it out yet? Not quite. Wait a second here. Say, it looks like this is going to be a picture of an animal. No, honest? Look at that. It's a chimp. Let's wash it off now. Let me see. I'll hold it up to the red light here. Can you see it all right? Yes, sir. You're right, Jack. It is a chimp. It's Aga. Yeah, it's Aga, all right. And the picture was taken just as she was opening Clara's supply cabinet. Caught in the act that time. I wonder what Mr. Randall will do about this. I guess the thing to do is to find out who's letting her out of the cage. Can you print up a picture now? Not yet, Jerry. I'll have to wait until this negative dries first. Should be dry before I turn in tonight. I'll make a print of it then. Then will the picture be ready in the morning? Sure thing. First thing in the morning, you can show it to Mr. Randall. Say, what are we doing with the lights out? We can turn them up now. There, that's better. Why did you turn them out in the first place, Jack? Oh, they have to be turned out when I develop film. If I expose the film to light, it spoils it, and the picture would disappear. This dim little red light here is as strong as I dare have. There's a lot to your business, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot to every part of the circus, Jerry. Each job done well goes to make a smooth-running show. I'll bet I'll know all about it someday. <laughs> you will if you stay with the show, but I'm afraid you'll be a whole lot older. 
It sure is interesting, every bit of it. Do you think it's so interesting that you should be losing all this sleep? It's pretty late for you to be up. Carly, I, I forgot. I guess I'd better be getting to bed. I'll have that picture ready for you first thing in the morning. Suppose I come right over here right after breakfast, and then you and I can go short to Mr. Randall. Good idea, Jerry. I'll be here waiting for you. Here, eggs. Come on, we're going our eggs. Looks like he'd just as soon sleep on the floor all night. Rags. <coughs> well, all right, then. Come on. Good night, Jerry. Uh, good night. See you right after breakfast. Okay, Jerry. Bye, Rags. Shh. Quiet, Rags. Good night. Well, Rags, old boy, I guess Mr. Randall will get a surprise when he finds out we got a pitcher of egg in Clara's tent. I'm going to get up early and be the first one in the mess tent for breakfast. Then right to Mr. Randall we go with the pitcher. <laughs> the office wagon, Jerry. Who is it? It's Jack Hastings, Mr. Randall. Oh, come in, Jack. Oh, good morning, Jack. And Jerry, too. Uh, what brings you two around here so early? We got it, Mr. Randall. You've got it? <laughs> You've got what? We've got the picture. What is it? What are you talking about? I guess we'd better start at the beginning, Jerry. Okay. You tell him. Jerry here got an idea on how to catch the prowler that's been getting into Clara's tent. He and I set up a camera with a flash bulb yesterday and Last night, the guilty one had a picture taken. Well, of all things, <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Uh, here's the picture, Mr. Randall. Well, well, say, what is this, a joke? No, sir. That's the picture that was taken in the wardrobe tent last night. Why, well, this is Aga, our prize chimpanzee. And that's the prowler that's been bothering Clara. Well, how can this be? Well, that's the story, all right. That picture doesn't lie. You can see it was taken just as she was trying to open that supply cabinet to Clara's. I can't see how she's getting out nights. Just since she can't open that cage of hers by herself. There's just a bolt on the outside. But she can't get her arm through the screen to get at it. Come on. Uh, let, let's go over to Clara's tent and see what we can find out. Looks to me like somebody's letting her out. Well, that's what's happening, all right, and I don't like it. Looks like your detective work has really uncovered something, Jerry. I can't see a reason for it. What I mean is, who'd want to let a chimp out at night? Well, that's what we're going to have to find out. Aggie wouldn't hurt anybody, would she? Oh, I hardly think so, Jerry. Ag is gentle and as tame a chimpanzee as I've ever seen, but... Well, this is certainly funny. Here's Clara now, just going into oh. her tent. Oh, yeah. uh, Clara! Morning, Mr. Randall. Good morning, Clara. Morning, Jerry and Jack. Yeah, did you find anything missing this morning, Clara? Why, I don't know, Mr. Randall. I'm just getting here myself. Well, let's have a look around. Mm, no, I, I guess everything's in its place. Wait, that door to my cabinet's open. I'm sure I had it bolted when I left here last night. Anything else, Clara? Not that I... Say, look here. What is it? My gold thimble and my buckles and jewelry. Whoever took them the other night must have brought them back. Huh. Land sakes, I'm sure glad to get that thimble back again. It was my grandmother's thimble. The plot thickens, Mr. Randall. Mm, this, is, uh, this is like a nightmare. The camera worked last night, Clara. It did? Oh, yes, yes, I, I forgot. Uh, here, Clara, take a look at this picture. That's who's been getting in here nights. Well, sakes alive, a chimpanzee. It's Aga. Sure enough. And that explains how the cabinet got open. The picture was taken just as she started to get into it. And when the flash went off, it scared her. That's why she didn't stay long enough to take anything or upset your things. But that doesn't explain how my thimble and jewelry got back here on my workbench among these scraps of silk. Uh, whoever is letting Aga out is probably the one who returned your things. What do we do next, Mr. Randall? Well, 
The first thing I'm going to do is have an extra heavy padlock put on Aga's cage. And that'll give you assurance that you won't be bothered anymore, Gara. Heavenly days. If I didn't see this picture with my own eyes, I'd sure think someone was daffy around here. A chimpanzee of all things. <laughs> I've got to run along now, Mr. Randall. You've got a big day ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, all right, go ahead, Jack. And thanks for helping Jerry out with the camera idea. <laughs> uh, we've got something to work on now. Okay, Mr. Randall. So long. Goodbye, Jack. See you later. Goodbye, Jack. <sighs> well, Jerry, I guess we'd better see about getting that padlock put on Aggie's cage and, and see what else we can find out. I hope you can get this all cleared up, Mr. Randall. Oh, we will. Jerry's a pretty good little detective. And with his help, we'll get right to the bottom of this. I'm sure thanking my lucky stars I wasn't around when that chimpanzee got in here. Those <laughs> critters scare the daylights out of me. <laughs> uh, I take it you don't like any of the monkey family, huh? No, nor any other beasts of the jungle. Dogs and cats is all I ever be caring for. Clara! Clara! Here comes Major Might. Clara! Well, good morning, Major. What's all the excitement? Oh, good morning, Mr. Randall. Clara, you give me my watch. Your watch? Oh, don't try and make me think you haven't got it. Come on. Come across with it right this minute. I won't stand for any foolishness. I don't know what you're talking about, Major. You mean to stand there and tell me you haven't got my watch? I certainly do. I haven't ever seen your watch. What is this? What's this all about? When I brought my satin coat to Clara, I had my watch in the pocket. I know it was there, and now it's missing. She's got it, Mr. Randall. I tell you, she's got it. I have no such thing, oh, Mr. No, Randall. Now, no, wait a minute. Take it easy. Let's get this straightened out. There's nothing to straighten out. I demand that you return my watch to me, Clara. I haven't got your watch. It wasn't in your coat pocket. Yeah, why so? And I want it back. That was the watch the King of Romania gave me when I did a command performance for him. I want it back. You hear? Give it to me, Clara. Mr. Randall, believe me, I haven't got the Major's watch. Mm. Well... This looks bad. Are you sure you looked through all your things, Major? Now, you keep out of this, young man. Oh, yeah, just a minute, Major. It is possible you mislaid it somewhere. Clara says she hasn't got it. She has got it, I tell you. I don't know whether she meant to steal it or whether she's just trying to aggravate me, but I want my no. watch or I'm no, going to no, go no. to the police. Now, listen, Major. There'll be no going to the police until I call them in. All right, you go back to your quarters now. I'll, I'll handle this myself. All right. But I'm warning you. Clara took that watch. It isn't everybody to get the watch from the King of Romania. I'll get that watch back. Well, I'll know the reason. Ah, what a temper. I haven't got his watch, Mr. Randall. Honest, I haven't. Well, all right, Clara. You just let me get to the bottom of this. Come on, Jerry. Okay. Goodbye, Clara. Goodbye. You don't think Clara took the Major's watch, do you, Mr. Randall? Mm, hardly, Jerry, but you and I have got a lot of business on our hands today. I said monkey, of course, that's not the right way to say it. 
Yeah, monkey chimp. I thought they said gorilla at first. That's why I posted this fine picture of a gorilla. But I missed it. I'm still working on our show art, so... I lost our font! I remember what it was called. You lost the font! I lost the font because I did our new store logo last night. Yeah, the new store logo is awesome. That's pretty good. Chimp, but the chimp is being uh, directed by the bitter little person. Yes. Who was disrespected and was sending the chimp in just to mess stuff up. But the chimp returned the gold thimble. I don't think chimps return things. I think the... I think the, the little guy did. Oh, okay. Well, that music ended abruptly. It really did. Uh, but yeah, so... Um, and of course now he's trying to fr frame poor, kindly Clara. Oh. And, that's uh, not right. That's not right at all. She seems like such a nice person. She's one of the nicest people in the circus. That's what the photographer yeah. and a guy told Jerry. That's right. All the way over to the tent. But yeah, they caught the, they they we the mystery is solved for the most part. But yeah, this guy, this this uh, little guy, little person, he he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's angry. Yeah. He's um, mean. he must have been messed with by other people, but I don't think Clara is one of the people who messed with him. So, mm. I uh, he's he's getting jealous. He's, I he's feel getting, for her. He's getting even to everybody. Yeah. So. Uh, this isn't as bad as the the last story arc, you know, the, you know, brainwashing no. a, a guy and trying to frame him for all kinds of horrible stuff, uh, murder. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So anyway, well, I've completed the show art, the colors nice. on the show art, and let's see it uh, drop. I'm going to go ahead and uh, save it real quick. And, oh, yes, I want to save it. Yes. Um, and then I'll surprise you guys with uh, the audio that I have. We'll probably, I mean, we, we might have time to play both, depending on uh, the interest of what people uh, say. But I think this will fit right in with what we're doing. Uh, so, all right, lots of good chimpanzee stuff in the chat that I've been missing while coloring. But uh, that's okay. So here we go. All right, dropping it in. Thank you again, Foxfire. There is the, um, there's the picture. There's the show art. There you go. With some color. You can do anything. So, uh, but thank you again for that. It's always a pleasure to uh, add some color to your awesome illustrations, Foxfire. Yeah. All right. So our surprise for tonight is a kids show. Uh, from, uh, let me see, I think 1936? It is, um, called The Magic Island. Oh, good. I, I've always wanted to hear this. But That's a mother's exciting. search for her little lost white girl. Eh. So they say that right out. Uh, so. Right out <laughs> Brace white. yourselves. So here we go. This is the Magic Island uh, episode one. Let me double check the year on that for you. 
A wealthy and beautiful California woman, Mrs. Patricia Gregory, has spent 14 years searching the world over for her little daughter, Joan Gregory. Fourteen years ago, Mrs. Gregory, her husband and baby daughter, were shipwrecked in the South Pacific. Everyone on board was believed lost except Mrs. Gregory, but she has always felt that her little girl was also saved. This belief has caused Mrs. Gregory to offer a large reward for news of any young white girl found in the South Sea Islands who might prove to be her daughter. Fourteen years she has waited in vain, but now the story begins in Los Angeles. It is just 12 o'clock midnight. A police radio car is cruising near Mrs. Gregory's home. Car 67 at Western and Slauson, a fight. Car 67 at the service station, Western and Slauson, a fight. Car 14. That's us. Let's hear it then. Calling car 14. Car 14 in North Chester Place, near the Adams Street entrance. Investigator Prowler, North Chester Place near Adams. That is all. Cut him off. We'll we'll have a look around. We're right in that block now. Yeah. Slow down. This ought to be it. I thought I saw somebody on that lawn there. That's the Gregory place, isn't it? Yeah. There is something moving there. He's up the driveway, right behind him. Where you going, buddy? Who wants to know? Hold it right there and I'll show you. Hold it there, kid. I want to talk to you. Hey, why don't you take that flashlight out of my eye so I can see who you are? It's a lot more important that I see who you are. What are you doing here this time of night? Well, suppose you tell me what you're doing here. And then maybe I'll tell... Oh, golly, Whiskers. I didn't see your uniform at first. The cops, huh? Right, the cops. Now can you remember what you're doing in this driveway? Well... I might live here. Ah, you might, but you don't. We got a call on you as a prowler. A prowler? I'm looking for a lady's house. That's not prowling, is it? Well, depends on whether the lady wants you to be looking for her. This is Mrs. Gregory's house. Honest? She's the one I'm looking for. Much obliged. I'll go and see her. Hey, not so fast, buddy, not so fast. Do you know Mrs. Gregory? No. But I've got some news for her. I heard about her little girl being lost in the South Seas on a magic island. Oh, and I... <laughs> So, her little girl's lost on a magic island, eh? And her mama don't know it, but you're going to tell her. <laughs> well, I'm Santa Claus, and I'm taking you to the North Pole with me. Come on. Hey, let go of my arm. Oh, you're let going go. to the station house. Come on. Uh, no, I'm not. Help. Help. Oh, Mrs. Will you, Gregory. Will you shut hey, somebody up? Somebody help. Hey, hey there, you. Hey, now you'll walk him up in the Gregory house. I hope oh, I walk up the whole coming. block. Take it easy, son. Now, take it easy, Here, Dad. here, this is no place to stage a fight. Oh, well, we picked this kid up in your driveway on a prowler car. I'm not a prowler, honest. I've got to see Mrs. Gregory right away. Well, it isn't so easy to see Mrs. Gregory at midnight. Uh, what's your business here? Ah, uh, the kid's having a pipe dream about Mrs. Gregory's little girl floating around Australia on a magic island. <laughs> I'll see that he don't bother you anymore. Come on, son. Wait a minute. Hold it, officer. Did you say Mrs. Gregory's little girl? You bet he did. But nobody's going to get a chance to laugh at me again. I'll tell my story to Mrs. Gregory, or not at all. All right, officer. I'll be responsible for this boy. And if he's not what he represents himself to be, I'll send for you again. Uh, my name's Bradford. I'm in charge of... Oh, that's all right, sir. I know you, Captain Bradford. Call us if you want anything else. And let us know how the kid's magic island comes out. <laughs> Thank you.
I'm sure glad you came out, sir. He was going to take me to jail. Well, if your story doesn't sound just right, uh, you'll still get a chance to go. Come on up to the house now. We'll meet Miss Gregory. I know she'll want to hear my story, but I kind of hate to get her up at this time of night. Never mind that. Miss Gregory and I were just going out. You go uh, open the door there and go right in. I'll follow you. Go on in, kid. But you ought to go in first. I'll be the judge of what I ought to do. Go on in. Now, straight down the hall to that lighted arch. What's going on, Tex? I thought I heard... Oh. Are you Mrs. Gregory? Yes, I'm Patricia Gregory. Let's go in and sit down, Pat. I'm anxious to get a good look at this young fellow. Say, Mrs. Gregory, your butler is mighty suspicious of me. Butler? <laughs> I'm sorry, Tex, but you should see your face. Huh, butler. <laughs> what makes you think I'm the butler? Well, heck... Nobody but a butler could act as suspicious of anybody as you do. You're wrong, young man. Captain Bradford is in charge of my affairs. Manager of my estate, master of my yacht, pilot of my planes, and... But hadn't you better introduce yourself? Yes, we'll ask a few questions now, son. Uh, you sit over there. Uh, keep your hands in sight. Patricia, you stay near me. Don't be absurd, Tex. What danger could there be? He's only a boy. Yes, and Billy the Kid was only a boy when he had to put extra long handles on his guns to hold the notches. Say, I've had about enough of this. I've got something to tell Mrs. Gregory. Do I get to tell her or don't I? Of course you do. Keep quiet, Tex, and let the boy talk. Thanks, Mrs. Gregory. Well, my name is Jerry, Jerry Hall. This afternoon, I picked up a radio message on my short wave set on a band I'd never heard anything on before. Somebody was talking in funny broken English and said that an old sailor was very sick in a hospital, somewhere near Honolulu. I guess he didn't say. There it is again, the same thing. Wait, Tex. Go on, Jerry. Well, I guess this old sailor was so sick, he didn't know what happened to him. He was raving about how he'd escaped from a magic island in the South Seas, and about a beautiful little white girl that was living there with some strange people. Well, I read all about your little girl being lost in the shipwreck when she was a baby, and I thought that, well, that is... <laughs> Gosh, I guess it sounds kind of foolish when I try to tell it. No, it doesn't, Jerry. It isn't foolish at all. And Captain Bradford and I are leaving tonight within half an hour, sailing on my yacht. And we're going to find out all about that old sailor and his story. Well, I've been reading all about your little girl ever since I could read. Is it true that you were shipwrecked in the South Seas, just like the stories say? Yes, Jerry, it's all true. We were wrecked in the South Pacific when my little girl, Joan, was only a year old. Her father was lost, and of course... Everyone else thinks my baby was also, but somehow I've never quite given up hope that someday I'd find her. And we've chased all over the world to see girls that people show to us to try and get some of the money Mrs. Gregory offered. But they never are the right one. Well, uh, well, how could you tell your little girl? I mean, if it really was her. Joan had a tiny birthmark, a little star-shaped scar on the back of her neck. Joan. Gee, that's a pretty name. Joan. I'll bet she'd be pretty, too. Maybe almost as pretty as you are, Mrs. Gregory. Thank you. There you are, Tex. Jerry's a bright boy. Yes, his eyesight's all right. I'll say that. We've got to go. You see, kid, uh, we heard the same thing on the short wave that you did. And we're sailing just as soon as we can get to the harbor. Boy, that's slick. Will you take me with you? Will we do what? Take me along, will you? Oh, please. Why, Jerry, we couldn't do that. We hardly know you. You're so young, you can't be out of high school yet. Well, I know my dad would let me go. And I know a lot about boats and aeroplanes and radios and, well, and all that sort of stuff. And I'd work hard on the yacht and... 
Oh, golly, Whiskers. How about it? Not a chance. Out of the question. I'm sorry, Jerry, but it just wouldn't do. Beg your pardon, madam, but the car's at the door. Everything is quite ready. Baggage loaded. Thank you, Johnson. We'll be out in a moment. Very good, madam. Now, Jerry, I'm afraid we'll have to say good night to you. It was sweet of you to come and tell us about your radio message. Won't you let me give oh, you... Oh, no, thanks, Mrs. Gregory. It was fun for me. You see, I've dreamed about finding your... Oh, well. Good night. I hope you have a lot of love. Thanks, good night, Jerry. Son. Good night. Oh, say, I was just thinking, if you could only let me go, I'd telephone my dad. He'd let me go when I'd tell him how nice you are, Mrs. Gregory. Oh, Jerry, you're nice about this, and I would like to take you, but it wouldn't do, would it, Tex? Sorry, kid, but it just isn't in the cards. Boy, I'd sure like to see that magic island. The broadcast said there was something mysterious about it, how ships tried to sail up to it and couldn't, and that it was big but invisible. He gave the exact position. It might be true. Afraid not, Jerry. We'd sail through there on two steamer lanes. There isn't an island the size of a watermelon that isn't on the chart. Well, I, I guess I'd better go now. I'll uh, see you to the door. Are you afraid I'm going to take something? No, but uh, I'm going to take something. Something to remember you by. Open the door. Go ahead. Open it. Gee whiz. That flashlight nearly blinded me. Sorry, but we like to take pictures of the people who come to see us at midnight, and uh, we like to know when they open our door, too. But when I came in, I opened the door myself. And nothing happened. And I had the flashlight shut off. Now go on, kid. Get out. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry I bothered you, sir. Good night. Tex, why were you so rough about sending him out? I just got an idea. That boy's smart. He could have broadcast that message himself just to get a trip to the islands with us. Well, I suppose so, but I do wish we could have taken him. Well, it might have been wise at that. And I could have kept an eye on him till we ran the story down. Oh, well, forget it. Hurry, Tex. Johnson's waiting in the car, and Jameson will lock up until we return. To the harbor, Johnson. And step on it. Johnson. Oh, Johnson. Yes, madam. We're awfully crowded back here. Couldn't you find room up front for this roll of steamer rugs? I tried to put the roll up here, but he wouldn't have it. Who wouldn't have what? The young gentleman inside the rug, sir. Huh? Say, Pat, there is somebody inside this roll. <laughs> and I can guess who it is. <laughs> I, I didn't think you'd, you'd find me till we got to the boat. And then maybe you'd take me with you. I ought to wring your neck. Now, Tex. Oh, I know, Patricia, but... Gee, I'm... Mrs. Gregory, that's an awful pretty name, Patricia. Oh, now, look. I'm plenty big enough to go with you. And we'll telephone my dad from the dock, huh? How about it, Tex? Nope. Oh, now, Tex. No. You got her on Miss Gregory all right, Jerry, but you can't do that to me. Oh, no, sir. I wouldn't try to get around you. I can see that nobody could do that. You're too smart. But I would like to sail with you. I could learn a lot from a man as smart as you are, Captain Bradford. <laughs> All right, you win, kid. Golly whiskers. To the harbor, Johnson, and step on it. There you go. Johnson's taking him to the harbor. This is what what do you guys think? What do you think, Suze, uh, so far of the uh the intro to the 1930s. It started in 1935, apparently. Uh, I've never heard the term golly whiskers golly so much. Whiskers. 
in the last 15 minutes, but I'm kind of into it. Yeah. So, anyway, there's uh, we do have another episode that runs uh, 11 minutes, 38 seconds. That might be a little too long. We'll find out what everybody else thinks, and then we'll um, hmm. we'll go from there. So, sure. Unless you want me to play it. I don't know if we can talk for 10 minutes. We'll just talk about... <laughs> we'll just talk about so what movies I think we, we sold. We need to hear something. All right. Here we go. When Jerry Hall <laughs> went to find Mrs. Gregory's house at 12 o'clock at night, he sure got himself into a lot of excitement and possibly some trouble. A police radio car picked him up as a prowler. But finally, Jerry talked himself into the Gregory house and got a chance to tell his story to Mrs. Gregory and Captain Bradford. It's a wild story and one that few people would believe. But Mrs. Gregory and Tex Bradford are adventurers who live in a world where impossible stories come true. We find the three of them now on the afterdeck of Mrs. Gregory's magnificent yacht, the Joan Gregory. The yacht is well out of Los Angeles Harbor, and the lights of San Pedro are fading astern. It is two o'clock in the morning. Golly, Whiskers. We're really on our way to find the magic island. Not much magic in a wild goose chase like this. Now, Tex, let Jerry talk. We've been disappointed on so many of these trips to search for Joan that it's nice to have someone with us whose belief is fresh and strong. Okay, Patricia. But I don't want you to feel too badly if this tip doesn't amount to anything. But gee, Captain Bradford, there must be something to this. We both got the same radio message. Yeah, that's what's too good to be true about it, son. You're the most suspicious fellow I ever met. Never mind, Jerry. The captain has all my interest to look after. And his suspicions are my protection. All right. I'm on the yacht with you anyway. And we're going to Honolulu, or wherever that message came from, and see the old sailor. Then we'll get all the story and know just where to go in the South Seas to find your little girl. It all sounds mighty easy the way you tell it, Jerry. But there's a lot of water between here and the islands. And 14 years have been torn off the calendar since the shipwreck. You're right, Tex. And I suppose it's foolish of me to pay too much attention to this message, but... I've never believed that Joan perished in that shipwreck, and I just can't give up trying to find her. I'll help you all I can, Mrs. Gregory. Golly, but this is a swell night, isn't it? Just look back there at the shoreline. All those lights getting smaller and smaller and sort of twinkling, like stars do just before they go out in the morning. It's beautiful, Jerry. The only thing I like better than sailing out of this harbor is sailing back into it again. Well, if you two can be spared from the poetry class for a few minutes, we'd better get to the radio cabin. I want Jerry to get acquainted with our set. And we'll have to turn in. It's after four bells. Oh, boy. Two o'clock in the morning. And time you were asleep, Jerry. Uh, Let's go in the cabin with Tex and see the radio. Then we'll all turn in. Captain. Here comes the skipper. Pat, you take Jerry in the cabin. I'll check with the skipper and join you in a minute. Come right in, Jerry. I'll show you around. Boy, is this a radio cabin or is this a radio cabin? Everything ship-shape, skipper? Aye. Uh, we don't know what our course is to be. But for the time being, we're chasing a radio message that probably came from somewhere in the Hawaiian Islands. So just hold a general course on the regular lane until I change it. Aye. Uh, we have a new hand aboard. He'll help me with the radio. I'll fix it with sparks and we can split a watch with you. Aye. Better turn in now, Skipper. You can take over after daylight and I'll join you in the chart room for some skull practice on navigation to imaginary points. Uh, we've got to locate a magic island. Who? All of us. Nuts. Who? Everybody. Well, maybe you're right, Skipper. But just the same, that's what we're looking for. Well, see you at breakfast. Uh, will you join us in Mrs. Gregory's cabin? Aye. That's all, Skipper. You can shove off. I, Magic. Island. Nuts. <laughs> I don't blame the Skipper much at that. Well, I see you've got the set warmed up, Jerry. How do you like it? Gee, Tex, 
I mean, Captain Bradford, it's a darb. Darb, huh? It's all right, Tex. Jerry says darb is the highest praise he can find for anything. Hmm, so you think it'll do, kid? Do? Gosh. I bet it'll get anything in the world. It's all set to go now. Can I try it? Go ahead. And while you're enjoying yourself, you might as well be working. I'll see that you stand a regular watch here if you can handle that set right. Uh, that way I won't have to leave Sparks and can take it easy. Why not let Jerry call Johnson and make our report? What I had in mind. Uh, work on three meters, son. Ask for J-12C. That's Johnson, our radio operator and chauffeur in Los Angeles. Sign yourself as Jerry on J-24Y. That's this yacht. You can get this set down to one and a half meters, can't you? Yes, and we can work in that wavelength on our Los Angeles set too, Jerry. That's how we heard the message about the dying old sailor in his magic island with a little white girl on it. That's where I got it at home, too. Gee, you know, Dad and I thought we had the only set in the country that would work on one and a half meters. Yes, we thought we were the only ones. You and your dad must know something about radio to build a set like that one. Funny, too. Well, no funnier than you having one. You see, my dad has studied radio all his life. He doesn't have to work anymore and just plays with it all the time. We can send on one and a half meters, too. Yes, I thought you could. Why, Tex, what do you mean? Oh, I know what he means. He thinks I sent that message just to get you to sail for the South Seas so I could get the trip with you. Well? Oh, Jerry, you wouldn't do a thing like that, would you? Knowing how much it means to me, how badly hurt I'd be if we made this trip and didn't find any trace of the little white girl. I wouldn't do that for anything in the world, Mrs. Gregory. Okay, son, we'll let it go. For now. To the Gregory Gee yacht. whiz. There he is again. Calling What's the, the man, kid? Yacht. One and a half meters. To the Gregory Land Station, Los Angeles. To J-12C, Los Angeles. Now he's... Quiet. Calling J-12C. Relay this message to yacht Joan Gregory. Stand by for message. Cannot raise yacht. Relay this to them. He doesn't know we can get him on the yacht. Quiet. To the Gregory Yacht. You will not find the old sailor in Hawaiian Islands. Set your course south. Further directions later. Old sailor delirious. Probably dying. Keeps repeating position of island. Says his diary will tell you. White girl living there. Island position. Latitude 29 degrees south. Longitude. 124 degrees, 30 minutes west. That is all. Repeat to Gregory Yacht. Repeat to Gregory Yacht. Gee, the same thing. Tex, the position was the same as given before, and the old sailor keeps saying there's a little white girl on the island. Yes, yes. What are you doing, Tex? Checking my directional beam finders. We've got to know where those messages are coming from. There's something wrong with them, all right, or they'd be signed. Why would anybody send a message without signing it, if they were honest? Maybe they haven't got a licensed station. Yes, here we are. He wasn't on long enough for me to get a very long curve on the graph for calibration. But one thing is sure. That message did not come from the west, north, or east. Then it had to come from the south. Yes, recording directional receiver shows only direct impulses. And the only place it was disturbed by those beams was through about a 60-degree angle to the south. That's awfully broad, Tex. If the sender is any distance from us, that angle could spread out to cover thousands of miles of ocean. I know it. But it's ten to one that Johnson got it, too. We can check with him later. You and Jerry stick with this set to pick that fellow up if he comes on again. I'm going to change our course. We're heading south right away. Oh, Jerry, I'm so excited and encouraged about it all. Me, too. Gosh, even Captain Bradford seems to be taking it plenty seriously now. That's what makes me so happy. Tex has been through a lot of these things with me. 
He doesn't believe wild stories very easily. So when he gets excited, it looks as if we had a chance to accomplish something. I've got a hunch we're going to find your little girl, Joan, all right. But what kind of people could she have been living with? I mean, on this island that wouldn't let the world know all about it before this. There are so many things that might have happened, Jerry. But if we really do find a little white girl on this island, and it is Joan, I won't care about anything else. Well, when you have time, and if you want to, Mrs. Gregory, I wish you'd tell me the whole story of the shipwreck. I mean, just where it happened and how you were saved when everyone else was drowned. And what made you think your little baby was saved? Of course I will, Jerry. Now start right now. We'd been in a terrific storm for days. The yacht we had then was very much like this one, except that it was named after me, the Patricia Gregory. Oh, and this one is named for your little girl, the Joan Gregory, isn't it? Yes. Well, we were making dangerously heavy weather of it along the 30th parallel when all at once... Say, wait a minute. Hmm? The 30th parallel. This radio message. The 29 degrees south. That's near the 30th parallel, all right. Why, Jerry, so it is. I didn't think of it just that way before. There's only about 69 miles between the parallels at that latitude. How about the longitude? This message said 124 degrees and 30 minutes west. That would be about right, too. J-12C to J-24Y. J-12C to J-24Y. Is that Johnson? Yes, Jerry. Acknowledge him. Hello, J-12C. Jerry Hall for Captain Bradford on J-24Y. Go ahead, J-12. Go ahead. Never heard of you, Hall. We'll talk only to Bradford. Can you beat that? That guy drove us to the boat, but he never heard of me. I'll explain it to him, Jerry. Let me have the microphone. Hello, Johnson. Hello, J-12C. Patricia Gregory to Johnson. Jerry Hall is okay. He's the boy we brought with us. Tex is out on deck. Jerry authorized to do relief watch on this set. Confirm receive that. Okay, Mrs. Gregory. Okay, work with Jerry Hall on J-24Y. Better get Captain Bradford in cabin for this message. Have important relay for you. That's what we heard direct, I'll bet. Oh, here's Tex now. Tex, Johnson's calling. Wants you to take over for this relay. Okay, J-12. Bradford, go ahead, Johnson. Relay of message just received. Logged it on one and a half meters. More about the old sailor in his island. Position repeated, correct as given before. Break, J-12. Break it, Johnson. Okay, J-12. We got a direct. Now check your directional graph. Get me the best line you can on it. I'll hold the set open. Checking graph now. We'll report when finished. Now we'll have something definite to go on when we want to set our course. Good old Johnson is always on the job. And his instruments are really better than these portable ones. Maybe so. But, well, I don't understand how we can localize that radio beam better than you can right here. He can't. But he has a chart. A chart exactly like this one in front of him at this minute. And when he gives me his reading, I log the line of it right here. Then extend the line I have from our reading, and the point where those lines cross should be a pretty accurate location for the radio transmitter we're receiving those messages from. Beam falls in zone 18. Zone 18 south. 18 south. Zone 18. 18 south. Okay, Johnson. Stand by. Now, can you get at your figures pretty close to it? If we were farther from Johnson, the angle would be better. But Tex should hit it fairly well. By George, there it is. And those lines cross almost on the 30th parallel. Golly whiskers. 30 degrees south. And the message said the Magic Island was 29 degrees south. Nobody said anything about a Magic Island. Oh, Tex, let Jerry call it anything he wants to. 
If we can only find it and my little girl is still alive. Don't say if, Mrs. Gregory. We're going to find your little girl, Joan, on a magic island. Yeah, this thing doesn't have any music or anything. <laughs> it just stops. Bang! Yeah, they're just like, okay. Maybe they should take half the... They could take half the music from Jerry of the Circus and... Sure. That'd be fine. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll just chop off the music from Jerry. Well, this is Jerry of the Islands, uh, because, you know... Jerry of the Islands. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's Joan the White Girl of the Islands. Oh, yeah, that little white they girl. They gotta tell you every time that that little girl is white. Every yeah. time. Don't want to hey. confuse it with one of those non-white little girls. Ah, uh, but anyway... Well, there you anyway. go. There you go. There's uh, our triumphant return to the airwaves after a week of. Yes. Uh, Last week, we had some important stuff to do. I don't know what we did. Well, we, we had that stuff. big estate sale, and plus we have uh, other family stuff that's going on right now. So. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I really did, and I, I do enjoy my story time. So thank you. Thank you for that, Ken. You're Thank welcome. you for the magic island. Even though we're just looking for one white girl. I'm hoping if any other little girls needed help and where, saving or... Yeah. Well, I mean, where know? else can you go where you Maybe get to explore a, a, one, a, 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 a wonderful land of Oz? Uh, I love the land of Oz. Get, I mean, we're all about the geography here. Wormwood Forest is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. circus is in town. Yeah, and and we're rolling up on a magic island. Yeah, I love all this stuff. Yeah. So, thank you, and thank five, you so much. And a five-minute mystery can uh, happen anywhere. Yes, and so. and tomorrow, we in the geography of forty-one latitude, I think it is. Uh, well, yeah, it came from Cleveland. Yes. That's right. We've got a lot of uh, fun stuff. Michelle's going to be talking about uh, John Saxon, I believe. Uh, oh. So, um, I don't think you know who John Saxon is. He was a character no, actor. I'm he lying. Did a, lot, a lot of different horror stuff. Um, and let's see. Let me let me take a look real quick um, because uh, Joe's going to be talking about Martin Sheen and Peter O'Toole. Uh, Miles will be talking about the unfortunate anniversary of uh, Hiroshima. Uh, I've got a few different folks I'm going to talk about. The late Tawny Katayan just had her birthday. She just passed away earlier this year. And uh, I'll be picking a few other people. Uh, I forget exactly who all... Uh, oh, Lonnie Anderson has a birthday. Uh, <laughs> she was born in yeah. 1940. We just picked up uh, Stroker Ace on VHS today with her and Burt Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> So, of so that was... will be posted soon on Voodoo Zombie Boutique. That's yeah. right. Your one-stop, 24-hour VHS store. Hey, we got Blu-rays and DVDs now. Uh, so yep. it's, it's you know, if you like entertainment, check it out. And there's some other weird stuff, too. So yeah. anyway, uh, that's all I got. Check out It Came From Cleveland tomorrow, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. We will be back live. Good live. night. Time for go to bed. Good night. Time for go to bed. <laughs>